Presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. We are taping this episode on Thursday morning, about 36 hours after the latest CFP rankings, which seem to get a little more farcical by the week. Uh, do you agree with that assessment, Stu? Yeah, Tuesday night's rankings, definitely one of the strangest I've ever seen when Florida coming off what anybody would would say was a terrible loss to a uh, reeling LSU team at home only drops one spot. And we get on the teleconference afterward with Gary Barta and look, he doesn't have an easy job. He's speaking for a whole group of people and he may not even agree with them, but the, the, the justifications for them, especially for Cincinnati, the, this notion that because they haven't played in a while, now they're a worse team than they were a few weeks ago, and they keep dropping. Um, I, we were all just stunned. I thought Nicole Auerbach wrote a really good column that was just like, these rankings don't make sense. Now, at the end of the day, if the results go the way Vegas predicts they will this weekend, you're going to have your, your four teams that have been the four teams all along, right? Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State, pretty controversy-free, and all that other stuff doesn't really matter, but in terms of who might be next in line. I'll tell you this much, you know, credit to you on Sunday, throwing out the, when everybody was, was uh, writing the obit on Florida. You're like, are you sure they can't still get in if they win? Well, by only putting them at number seven, it was almost like they set the table for that. Yeah, I just think we're all creatures of the moment on that. Now, I didn't think the committee would just bump them back one spot. I mean, look, I think it is ridiculous kind of how the committee is. I don't even know if they're watching the games. You know, I really, it just... Oh, they always make a point to say that they are. Well, of course they're going to say that, but it just, I don't know. It just seems like what's the point of all this, of how of their meetings and everything. And again, I don't think, I feel like Gary Barta has kind of a thankless job because he's defending stuff that he may not entirely believe. You know, I'm sure it must be awkward for him as the Iowa AD to be propping up Iowa State as much as the committee is. But um, here we are. So... Again, I, I, I think when you look at this, I don't, I don't see Florida, the team that even with Kyle Pitts back, uh, I don't see them hanging with Alabama for four quarters. I just don't think they're good enough on defense. And, I mean, they just look thoroughly unprepared to play LSU last week. I don't think you bounce back from that and all of a sudden take down the best team in the country. You know, as crazy as 2020 has been, I just don't see that. Um, so, so tell me which game you are most intrigued by this weekend of all the conference championships. We have our picks and predictions up now on The Athletic. Tell me which one that you're most interested in. I mean, definitely Notre Dame-Clemson because, first of all, the first game was, was great. Uh, now we get to see them. We get to see it played again, but with Trevor Lawrence. And just this has just been such an interesting story this season. Notre Dame joining the ACC and going undefeated and making the ACC championship game uh, in this one time that we're going to see them in a conference. So um, I picked Clemson. I assume you did as well, but Notre Dame keeps proving me wrong. I do. I, you know, I almost feel bad picking Clemson because it makes it seem like I think Notre Dame's overrated. I don't. 
I just think that they're both great teams. And uh, look, even without Trevor Lawrence, even without all those guys on defense, Clemson did take them to double overtime. It wasn't like a, no, a non-competitive game. So it's hard for me to imagine that full-strength Clemson doesn't win this time. But I'm not ruling out the Irish. What about you? No, I feel pretty much the same way you do. I think not only without Trevor Lawrence, but also without three key pieces on their defense. And I just think it's harder to beat somebody twice in one year, especially to beat somebody to, you know, to upset them twice. Right. So, um, you know, Notre Dame's had a great year. I think Notre Dame is, is capable of beating anybody in the playoff. I just think this matchup doesn't favor them because it's a rematch. And, and for all those reasons, that we kind of hinted at. I think, though, I mean, there's a couple other pretty interesting ones. One for, flat out is Coastal Carolina against Louisiana in a rematch of a game that went down to a last-second field goal last time. But also Oklahoma-Iowa State. And I think, you know, we mentioned the weird committee rankings. I think part of the weirdness is that there is that love of Iowa State, and I do think Iowa State's pretty good. I find it hard to believe they're the sixth-best team in the country. They did lose by 17 points to Louisiana. Um, the first Oklahoma game was a very close game, and that was before Oklahoma got back Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson. And um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know what to expect from this game because while I do think Oklahoma's a lot better than the first time they played, they're still not, contrary to what some people think, like they are not 2017, 18, 19 Oklahoma. Um, they're just not that they don't have that kind of offense. They do have a better defense. It seems like, but they're not going to go out there and uh, like if I'm Iowa state, I'm not scared of these guys in any way. No, I'm with you on that. Um, I think it's interesting just in that OU's defense has really come on. It feels like they've turned a corner under Alex Grinch and obviously getting Ronnie Perkins back has been huge. Um, They've done a really good job against the run since Perkins has come back, especially. And obviously, this is a terrific running attack. So this is, you know, I, I really am interested in this game. Um, you know, I'll tell you a game that's like sneaky interesting to me is San Jose State, which is undefeated, yeah. number twenty-four against Boise State. And honestly, I, I watched Boise State's first game. Uh, I think it was against Utah State because that was a game I was in studio and we were leading into that game. And obviously Utah State's not very good or not good at all this year. But um, but this is actually one of the weakest Boise State offenses in a while. And if you look at statistically, they are, they've really – obviously people remember what they look like against BYU, but just in general, this has not been anything close to what we normally expect from Boise State. Um, and having said all that, I'm still looking at it going, man, everything I look at seems to think San Jose State should win this game. But, um, I don't know, big game experience. I just can't pick against Brian Harson's game and pick, uh, pick against Brian Harson's team in this game. Am I, you think I'm reading that wrong? I went with the Spartans. Maybe I'm getting a little too uh, hometown biased there, but I have watched them several times, and they're a good team. Uh, you know, Nick Starkle's a good veteran quarterback, got a good running back. Their defense, um, you know, really like they got down 20 to 7 against Nevada and then just shut them down from there. Uh, but you know, I think with these conferences where the teams haven't played a lot of games, I mean, Boise, Boise had two games canceled. Um, they played BYU with a third string quarterback. Like, we just haven't seen them 
we just haven't seen that much of them. You know, last week's game against Wyoming in the snow probably wasn't all that indicative. So I don't honestly know what we're going to see from Boise. I think I have a pretty good read on San Jose State. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk real quick about the Pac-12 game, which comes with all sorts of bizarre subplots. Uh, Did you ever think you'd see the day where a conference championship game was played with a replacement team? Like there have been years where, uh, like the year that Wisconsin was seven and five and went because Ohio State and Penn State were ineligible for the Big Ten championship, but you knew that before the season started. This is literally on a Monday. Washington can't play Oregon. You're up. Yeah, it, it's it's just a bizarre 2020 kind of thing, right? And I don't know. Like you have both Washington and Oregon each kind of stumbled around towards the second half of this truncated season. So I, I don't think, you know, like you have a USC team that I think people are slow to buy in on uh, because, look, they had their hands full against a awful Arizona team. And they looked really good against Washington State. And they had their moments against UCLA, but I don't know. Uh, it'll be entertaining, and obviously this is a big recruiting battle because Mario Cristobal is trying to be the, the the heavyweight champ of recruiting, especially in Southern California. So um, I'm interested to see which USC shows up because on paper they should win this game. Keaton Slovis has played well. They have really good receivers. I feel like Oregon's probably a year away from being because of all the guys they lost and all the inexperience they have in key places. So let's see if, if USC can seal the deal. I think this is, I think this is a big game for Clay Helton, not so much in job security, win or lose. I don't think he's going to convince anybody that he should be the guy. I don't think that those chips are not on the table for him this year, but I'm still interested to see if they can they can go six and zero because they haven't been. I, I don't think they even went five and zero in like 15 years at USC. I think that uh, 
the pack you're seeing just how a lot of you know, everybody's furious in the Pac-12 with Larry Scott and the conference and they're frustrated and there's just all these things they do that you're just like this is not how a college conference should operate and I think this has been a pretty interesting window into it the Pac-12 they run themselves as an entertainment product their 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 primary concern is always you know marketing and TV and I think it's pretty telling that the SEC is, I mean, the SEC's championship game is a huge event. It's a, so much a bigger deal than the Pac-12 championship. If ever there was a league that would be incentivized to make sure that game gets played, it's the SEC. And yet they said if either Alabama or Florida couldn't go this week, the game would just be canceled and they'd declare them co-champions because that's the like, right thing to do from a competitive integrity standpoint. Pac-12 just really wants there to be a game this week that they can put on Fox. And to the point where... You saw the tweet yesterday from Brian Howell, Colorado beat writer. Colorado's equipment truck is currently parked halfway between uh, Boulder and L.A. Just in case they get that call, hey, guys, USC can't play. We need you here. Um, It's just silly. And I don't know what the right solution would have been. Um, You know, there have been suggestions that, you know, because Oregon is three and two, right? It's not like it's, it's a bizarre situation. Like Colorado is sitting there with a better record and not playing a game this weekend. They originally, they had them scheduled to play Oregon. Then Oregon is not going to play them anymore. So they're just not playing this weekend. And that's by record, at least your second best team. Uh, I, I just think the whole thing has been very emblematic of, of how poorly run that conference is. There's, a, there, there's so much going on this week. Like at, literally everything has converged because of the change in the schedule. And uh, obviously we're in the middle of a coaching carousel too. And I think, the most interesting one right now is Auburn. Uh, I think they spent $21.5 million to buy out Gus Malzahn. We could argue about whether he should have been fired or not. At the end of the day, he had just kind of lost the momentum there. And they, the boosters put the, you know, got out the hat and collected the money and they fired him. So you think, okay, if you're going to fire a coach like Gus Malzahn, spend all that money, you're going to want to go out and get like the splashiest possible coach you can get. Tell us who's actually leading the coaching search right now. Yeah, as we reported this morning, that sources are telling me that the front runner for this job right now is the defensive coordinator, Kevin Steele. And while that may blow some people's minds, he has some very, very influential people at Auburn who are big believers in him and in his corner. And at Auburn, especially, that matters, right? So. Look, um, we have a story up at The Athletic now about who's in the mix there. And the ones, I think one of the people who's really a big contender, you know, against Kevin Steele on this front is Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. Um, I think he would have a hard time turning that job down. I think he's obviously a, a big name. Now he's four and four. It's, it's interesting in that I think – a, the Saturday's game between Ole Miss and LSU doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot, you know, outside of those two programs. But I think it may may mean a little bit of something potentially at Auburn, as crazy as it sounds, because for some people at Auburn, I think they could shape it and say, all right, Kevin Steele had a dreadful run as the head coach at Baylor 20-plus years ago. He was 1-31 and in Big 12 play. Uh, at Baylor. It was a long time ago. But people I've talked to down there have made the case, well, you know what? Ed Ogeron had a bad record 
the first time he was a head coach and he just won a national title a year ago. And my, my counter to that was, well, he did have two times as an interim pretty lengthy runs where he's at least able to show people he's evolved and grown. And those people said, look, the people at Auburn feel like Kevin Steele's been the guy who's held it together for them the last few years. He is very well respected within the SEC. Um, and so also, you know, how attractive is Lane to Auburn? He did a really good job at FAU. They're four and four. Um, you know, if he loses to LSU, who's not very good this year, and he's four and five, I think it probably diminishes a little bit. Um, you know, his first year, it wasn't like anybody expected Ole Miss to be great. But uh, he's definitely a candidate, uh, as is Billy Napier from Louisiana. Um, maybe Hugh Freeze is, is somebody that, that Auburn would push for. And I think – and you still have Steve Sarkeesian there, you know, also in the state at Alabama. Um, so it's a really interesting search, and Auburn is wildly unpredictable in what it does. But uh, from what I heard, they would love to have a coach – uh, decided upon by the beginning of next week. Who, in your, from what you can tell, who is actually making this hire? Is it the AD? Is it the president? The is it the it's boosters? Not the it's not yeah. The AD. So <laughs> th- th- this is this is speaks to everything that everyone everybody thinks about how crazy and loony things are at Auburn, right? You're, you're getting a window into it right now. It's frankly amazing that they have a successful program as they say do uh, running it this way because some of the things you just said, if you were like doing an actual, you know, hiring somebody for a job in the real world, like it, none of this makes any sense. What, ha- what Kevin Steele did at Baylor 20 years ago when Baylor was the doormat program of the big 12 and would be for some years after that should have zero bearing on whether or not he gets this job. Uh, now one could say, you know, that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of money out the door to make what seems like kind of a, not that major a change, right? Like there are reasons why that seems like a strange hire, but what he did at Baylor in 1999 is to me irrelevant. Lane Kiffin though, what you just said, first of all, we can all agree it would be absolutely amazing if Lane Kiffin and Saban were the Iron Bowl rivals. Whether he beats LSU this week or not should have zero bearing on whether or not he gets the job. You know what kind of coach Lane Kiffin is at this point. You don't need one more game, and whether it's five and four or four and five, to know whether he should be the guy running your program. Do you, when you say Kiffin would have a hard time saying no, like if I'm if I'm just you know kind of detached from it, I'm thinking, why go into that total pressure cooker job and have to you know be measured directly against Saban every year? If I can be here at Ole Miss, expectations are lower. And I'm still playing at the you know, SEC West. Expectations are lower. And if I beat him once every five years, everybody's going to love me. But we know Kiffin and like him wanting to take down Saban would be a driving factor. Let's also not push that. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't love how you kind of frame that because that basically makes it like Lane Kiffin's an outlier who would have that aspirations. I, I think almost any head coach – Look, Tommy Tuberville made this very same move despite denying that he was going to do it. Uh, I think a lot of coaches would make that move because how many programs have had their last two coaches compete for a national title? Yes. Auburn's one, LSU is another. It's a short list, right? 
Who was the last coach you got within sniffing distance at Ole Miss of a national title? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I said in, in my mailbag, somebody, you know, I got like two questions about like, is it really that great a job? Yes, it is a great job because you can win a national championship there. They're one of uh, probably 15, 12 to 15 programs in the country that have a shot to win a national championship with the right coach. And Ole Miss is probably not one of them. So from that perspective, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, it's just, you know, maybe I'm saying that because he's only been at Ole Miss for one year and um, he has a chance to, to, to build something there. But um, you're right. I mean, they'll throw, they'll throw a ton of money at him, that's for sure, more than, than Ole Miss can probably pay. All right, Stu, before we go, you had an interesting story that went up on the site uh, today, and it was a very uh, involved what-if story where you partnered with FanDuel uh, as well as another company just to kind of gauge how teams actually would have done pre-pandemic over a 12-game schedule. So, so first question is, where, what made you think to go down this road, and what was the most interesting aspect of it? So what made me go down this road was – you know, when the SEC went to a conference-only schedule, um, that sounded very exciting and from a competitive standpoint. But now you get to the end of the season here, and you've got a lot of teams, and Kentucky's kind of my poster, like they that had a really disappointing season. And you know, so Kentucky went four and six. They fired their offensive coordinator, and it's. But the thing is, they went four and four against the teams they were going to play in the SEC. They got Alabama added on, and they would have played Eastern Michigan. Kent State, Eastern Illinois, and Louisville, who's not very good this year. So with the same exact, I'm thinking with the same exact team and the same exact players, not the who you thought you were going to have coming to the year, like based on the, the way they performed in the games this year, what would their record probably have been? So, and I wanted to do that for everybody. So turns out my theory was right. Kentucky would be a seven and five team, four and four in the SEC. And think about how differently the fans would feel about the season. Seven and five, which is, that can, I mean, it's a little down from the last couple of years, but it's still, that's a successful season for the most part at Kentucky instead of four and six. And so, yeah, we, Jason Starrett is our data guru. He enlisted the uh, FanDuel, uh, the people who basically, it's the company that helps set the, the point spreads for them. Uh, they ran simulations, computer simulations, and, and these are the numbers they spit out. And it was pretty interesting to see how differently some of these teams' seasons would feel if they played their original schedules. Yes, we can dream. Uh, we can dream. So, uh, but look, hey, this is this is championship weekend, and um, hopefully we get a really good slate of games. I'm very excited. Uh, you know, as we worked on our picks column this week, and I was like, all right, you know, like there's a lot of interesting matchups. Maybe the Big Ten one isn't one that's like, ooh, this is going to be – you know, I don't know, like a toss-up game, but some of these other ones really are. And I always feel like you're going to get some curveball on one of these. And we had a fun weekend last weekend, and I think we're going to have one this weekend. So, Well, and the other fun thing we should note about this weekend is normally it's a very kind of light slate. Of, like, they're big games, they're championship games, but you, go, you, go, you get used to watching 30 or 40, having 30 or 40 games on every Saturday to 10 or less because some of them were played on Friday night. But this year, now, I don't think the Big Ten Champions Week games came out quite as you know, intriguing as we thought they would be. But in addition to those championship games, like I'm interested in uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ole Miss, LSU, you know, some of these rescheduled games as well as the, uh, 
you know, the ones they were planning to play. The Pac-12's got a pretty full slate this weekend. Um, there's going to be a lot of college football to watch. Thank you. I'm very excited about that. I'm going in studio on Friday. Uh, we will have, obviously, the Pac-12 title game on, on Fox, as well as, um, look, there's a bunch of games. I'm excited for Friday. I'm excited for Saturday. We're in the home stretch. Let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy it while we got it. We'll see you guys next time you hear from us. We will know who is playing in the college football playoff. Thank you.